This is the weekly Parsha Shior with Rabbi Chaim Bravender of Atid and WebYeshiva.org. Recorded live in Jerusalem at Beit Knesset Haramban. Visit www.webyeshiva.org for live interactive online shiurim today. We're in the Parsha of Bishalach. The Parsha of Bishalach is the Parsha of Yitziat Betrayim. It's the parish of the escape. But a few things happen along the way. One of which we want to look at a little bit more carefully tonight. The Pasuk says, you see Shemot Paragudalit, Parohi Kriv, by you remember that contrary to anything you could imagine, Paro decided to get his soldiers together and to chase after B'nai Yisrael, which means that Sachakol, right in the, right in the, the matter of Yitziat Mitzrayim, Paro was not impressed. Paro didn't change. He wanted the Jews as slaves in Mitzrayim. So even though they were leaving Mitzrayim, Paro decided to chase after them which uh, considering the impact of the uh, considering the impact of the Aseret HaMakot was a pretty brave decision on his part so to speak so the Pasuk says Paro came close to B'nai Yisrael chasing after them by Yisru B'nai Yisrael and the Jews lifted up their eyes right you see Paro came close and they lifted up their eyes. And lo and behold, the Egyptians are chasing after the Jews. Now the Jews, this was not part of the deal. When they left Mitzrayim, they thought that they, with God's help, had vanquished the Egyptians. And here it seems that they had not only not vanquished them, but the Egyptians were ready for a fight and they were chasing after them. They were afraid. I mean, what were they afraid of? They were afraid that at this point somehow God either had abandoned them or God was not able to deal with the problem. Nevertheless, nevertheless, they screamed out to Hashem. They davened. I think we would call it davening. They screamed and yelled their davening. Even today there are people who scream and yell when they daven. But there's a community of yellers in Am Yisrael called uh, Karlina Hasidim. If you've never heard it, you should... It's an experience. I mean, it's not, I'm not talking about Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, but every day, Mincha and Marev, they're in there screaming away. I mean, you think they get bored, but they don't. They think that that's how you should approach God. Because there are many references to prayer in the Tanakh that say, as this Pasuk says, Vayitzaku b'nei Yisrael al-Hashem, that it's the screaming was not something particularistic, but the screaming is the way you daven when you really daven. So what they do is, they don't know if they're really davening, but they're going to scream anyway, and they do scream. They, they, they scream. It, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. Okay, so we'll look at, uh, let's look at Rashi. Parohi Kriv. See Rashi? Right under the Psukim. Hayala lechtobu paro karat. It's like a Hebrew. It's not paro hikriv, which is which is like hifil. And hifil means paro caused somebody to come close. There's no cause. Hayala to paro karat. Mahu hikriv, hikriv at smoke. He, he was, it's a statement by Paro, that Paro was an idealist. Paro 
tried to get ahead of Bnei Yisrael. And then, Nosea Achrehem, Belevechad Ki'ishechad, Rashi is saying nice things. Right, Belevechad Ki'ishechad, that's Bnei Yisrael standing to receive the Torah. And here we're talking about Taro and Mitzrayim. Nosea Achrehem, so Rashi is relating to the fact that Nosea is singular. It's as though they were all together. Tavarachem, Bnei Mitzrayim Nosea Achrehem, what could that possibly mean? That there was still a battle going on in heaven about Yitziat Mitzrayim. And in heaven there was a Tsar of Mitzrayim that was trying, you know, an officer, just like there was a Tsar of Esau. And that there was a battle between the Tsar of Yaakov and the Tsar of Esav. There's this idea that there are sometimes there are battles that take place on earth, but at the same time, they're also taking place in heaven. And this battle was of great significance, the battle between Mitzrayim and Yisrael. But Rashi doesn't explain what the battle was about. But we can imagine. <coughs> we can imagine. Now you see what it says? They screamed. Rashi says, They followed the lead of their ancestors. So what is Rashi? I mean, what is Rashi saying? What is Rashi saying? That this was a genetically Jewish matter. Like, this is what Jews do. They daven. How do they know they daven? They learned it from Avram, from Yitzchok, from Yaakov. <coughs> so, so it wasn't because... I don't, I don't know what Rashi means, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Okay. You think about that. Rashi's explaining to us what's happening from the Am Yisrael side. The second Pasuk says, Is it that there are not any graves in Mitzrayim? That you brought her out, was out here to die in the desert? What an attack! What an attack against Moshe Rabbeinu of the day that they left Mitzrayim after the ten after the ten plagues. To me, it's inconceivable. Can you imagine this discussion? Here's Moshe Rabbeinu leading the Jews. Here are the Jews. Here are the Egyptians. Right? The the Jews are saying, "Boy, this is like we came in the wrong way. Where's that? You know, that map that tells us where to go. We're in the wrong place." Rashi says, I mean, it's, it's, what do you call this? Sarcasm? Sarcasm. I mean, it's hard to know, you know, these things in the Torah because there are no super segmental directions. You know, when you see a play, when somebody writes a play, so parentheses, they have to write, Loud, soft, laugh, uh, uh, sarcastically. Otherwise, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know how to read the play. But here also, we don't know exactly how to read the pasuk. But Rashi seems to say that it's sarcastic. I mean, you brought us out here because there's nowhere to get buried in the tribe. It's like a waste of time. <laughs> pasuk you'd bet. Didn't we, tell, didn't we go through this already, B'nai Yisrael, say to Moshe Rabbeinu? Chadal mimenu, b'navdad Mitzrayim, let us alone, let us just be slaves in Mitzrayim, kitov lanu avodet Mitzrayim, mimutenu b'amidbar. We're happier to serve the Egyptians as slaves than to die in the desert. So you see, you see that Mitzrayim has taken place, and there's a total, um, 
this distinction between Moshe Rabbeinu and Bnei Yisrael. They haven't learned a thing. The Egyptians haven't learned a thing. And the Jews haven't learned a thing. The Egyptians are certain that the power that enables Moshe Rabbeinu to do all these tricks will come to an end. There'll be a point where Moshe Rabbeinu won't be able to do it anymore. And Bnei Yisrael said, Bnei Yisrael says, look, you want to take us out of this shrine. We want it to be neat and clean. And here at the end of the Pasha Shemot, the king of Egypt says, I'll double the work, I'll triple the work. You'll have to go and get straw to build the, to make the, the, uh, the bricks. So today you shall say to Moshe Rabbeinu, this we didn't agree to. We didn't agree that things should be worse. We only agreed that things should be better. But that is to say that their view of things is the short view. It's like right now. It's going to happen right now. It's not going to happen at all. That Pasuki Gimel is Moshe Rabbeinu's response. That is, Moshe Rabbeinu validates their demand. They want it to be over. They don't have anything to do with Mitzrayim. They want, you know, you see it, Mitzrayim, to be a clean break. And so Moshe Rabbeinu says, that's exactly what's going to be. It's going to be a clean break. You won't see them again. It's all going to come to an end. Look. What? But now he's saying it, El Ha'am. Al Tira'u, do not fear. Hei Stand up tall, or reward Yeshua Hashem. You see the salvation from God. Hashem yaselechem hayom, ki Hashem reitem et Mitzrayim hayom lo tosif l'rotam od ad olam. And this day, this day, this is what Rashi says. Look at Rashi. Uh, where's Rashi? Hashem, I uh, know. Yud Gimel. Hashem reitem et Mitzrayim, Masher reitem otam. I know Elahayom. It's true you see the Egyptians coming after you, but today is the last day that you're going to see this sight. It's not going to happen, not going to happen again. So you see that there's like a delay in the understanding of the day Israel of what's happening. But Moshe Rabbeinu validates the fact that you see it in the tribe is taking place right now. And that you see at the shrine means the end of any relationship with the end of any relationship with um, Mitzrayim. Pasuk Yudalit. Hashem ilachem lachem vatem tacharishum. Rashi says Hashem ilachem lachem is bishvilchem ki Hashem nolcham lachem. Okay, what is Vatem Tacharishun? What is Vatem Tacharishun? You won't be screaming because you'll be confident. You'll see it's happening. Whatever's supposed to happen is going to happen. Okay, what? At Sivui. Not according to Rashi, I don't think so. But uh, if you ask in general, Hashem yilachem lachem v'atem b'shvilchem. Rashi doesn't even explain v'atem tacharishun. I don't think it's a tzibui. I think it's you will respond to the new situation. The old situation is that you're in danger. The Egyptians are coming. The new situation will be that the Egyptians are gone. So in the old situation you screamed because you felt that the world was not, you know, you weren't confident. In the new situation, you won't, so you'll be tacharishun. Is there a connection between Yitzhaku? Is it what? Is there a connection? Yeah, I think so. I think before, by Yitzhaku. But now when you see what's going on, that the Yitzhak Mishraim is really taking place, Vatem tacharishun. I don't think it's a tzivui. I think it's, that's what will be. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu didn't ask them to scream, so Moshe Rabbeinu is not directing them to keep quiet, but they're going to keep quiet because uh, because that's the only reasonable thing to do. 
Well, if it comes from it comes from fear that you shouldn't have, so it's not desirable. I don't know. In, in, you, want to, you want to know if this is a legitimate tefillah? I think it's not. I think that's what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying to them. He said, why are they davening? Why are they davening? Because they feel that God will not fulfill the promise to take them out of Mitzrayim and get them away to eat. That's why they're davening. Of davening. Yeah. Sounds like that's positive. Okay. Good. In other words, I agree with you that there's a lack of clarity here about whether they're doing a good thing or a bad thing. And if they're doing a good thing, how good is it? And if they're doing a bad thing, how bad is it? But there certainly are different elements. One element was that they uh, they feared that what they had been promised by Moshe Rabbeinu would not take place. And the other element was that they davened. Which sounds like a good thing to do. That's what you say, that what, what Sri says. Could be. So there's a kind of, kind of a lack of uh, lack of clarity here. What is it that we're talking about? What was the state of Bnei Israel? What was the response of Bnei Israel? What is Batem Tacharishun? Right. The last pasuk is this, and maybe this will clarify. Vayome Hashem El Moshe. Famous pasuk. Everybody knows this pasuk, but nobody mentions it. Ma titzak elai. So Moshe Rabbeinu's titzak was also based on Avram Yisroin Yaakov. It was also tefillah. And yet Hashem turns to Moshe Rabbeinu and says, Ma titzak elai, which is like saying, Al titzak elai. Don't, there's no time for davening. Dabel b'nei Yisrael Yisrael. There's a time for davening, and there's a time for doing. And you're making a mistake by davening. I mean, we didn't hear exactly that Moshe Rabbeinu davened himself, but it could be that Moshe Rabbeinu represents Am Yisrael in this matter. Maybe. Let's see what Rashi says. You see the Rashi at the bottom? Lamadnu shaya Moshe omeid umit palel. Rashi says... The correct inference is that Moshe Rabbeinu was also standing at davening. He doesn't say that he was, but if God says to him, so the stomach, that means that he was davening. That's what Rashi says. He was davening. Lamadnu shayam Moshe omeidu mitpaleh. Lamalo HaKadosh Bochu lo eit ata laharich b'tfilah. This is not the time for you, Moshe Rabbeinu, to be davening. To, especially to David a long Shmona Esrei She Yisrael Netunim B'Tzara the Jews are in trouble right in, in other words you're, you're Moshe Rabbeinu you're not in charge of Davidic you're in charge of leading B'nai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim so you could say what do you mean he's not in charge? For Moshe Rabbeinu, davening is a luxury. You know, like some people can go with the shul in the morning and daven for a very long time. And other people have some place to go. So they can't daven for such a long period of time. So what God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, according to Rashi, is that you, Moshe Rabbeinu, you have something to do. You can't just daven. I mean, I know you like to daven. But that's not the issue here. That's what Rashi says. Listen again. What's the tsara of Bnei Yisrael? That they think that the Egyptians are going to do them in somehow. So what is the job of leadership? To move them in the direction of Yamsuf where everything good is going to happen. Rashi proposes another explanation. What are you davening for? I, HaKadosh Baruch will decide. Not you. 
ולא עליך, כמו שנאמר להלן על בני ועל פה ידי תצווני. That you can't turn to God and tell God what to do. There are certain things that are, that are in God's hands. So what does Matitzaka like? He says, he says, Moshe Rabbeinu, what's he davening? He's davening to tell God what to do. And you shouldn't do that. You should tell God your feelings about things. I guess. It's like it's not in the Rashi. He's Who's he? Uh, think so? I never thought that sarcasm was a godly... Okay, okay. I mean, it wasn't what I was thinking of, but okay. Daber b'nei Yisrael v'yisau ein lahem ela lisa shein hayamu made b'fnehem. All they have to do is go. I mean, davening's not going to do anything, but if they go in the direction of Yam Suf, the Yam will split. Kedai zechut avotehem v'hem והאמונה שהאמינו בי ויצאו לקרוא להם הים. So you see what Rashi says? I said this is the same things that tefillah based on. זכותם, זכות אבותם, and שהאמינו. Right? But you, you could misuse it. You could misuse the feeling that you have. In this case Rashi says they have to take those qualities, the schuyot that they have from their avot, and they have to move in the direction of the of Yamsuf. So sometimes, so this was Rashi, it's in Rashi very clearly, that there seems to be a kind of uh, a negation by heaven of the tefillah option at a moment when there's clearly something else to do that would save you. In other words, sometimes davening is a great thing, but sometimes it, it reflects a defeatism which is, uh, not, uh, which is not good. Which is not good. If you know what you're supposed to do, then you should do it. And in this case, B'nai Yisrael knew exactly what they should do. And therefore, they should have said, we are B'nai Yisrael, we are the children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And there's no doubt that we will be able to carry out the mission. That's the... So this is like a tension people have in themselves. Right? It's like a... I don't want to point to World War II or to any other particular time in history, but you could say that this was a dilemma. This was the dilemma. Do you move or do you daven? Right? And davening at that, at that time meant that you didn't move. Good, bad, understandable, not understandable. Who are we to make a decision? All those things go into the, into the, into it somehow. Okay. Now let's look at the Ramban. Let's look at the Ramban because the Ramban is also going to be responding to the way Rashi read the the Chumash. Right? Sometimes the Ramban says, "I don't like Rashi. I do like Rashi." But even when he doesn't mention Rashi, he's always got it in mind. He's always thinking about Rashi, saying, in spite of Rashi, I'm going to write a different commentary. You have to understand that the Ramban, and the Ramban says so in his introduction, not the long introduction to the Torah, but the poetic introduction to his commentary, which is printed in every Ramban that, ex- that I know of in the Mikraot Gedolot or in the, in the uh, separate text of the Ramban there is a poem that precedes the commentary in which he explains what he's going to do so he explains one of the things he says is look it's all based on Rashi you start out with Rashi and then you say what you said so here even though Rashi is explained everything to us the Ramban has something to say so let's see what the Ramban says I'll try to go through it it's a little bit uh, 
איננו נראה כי בני אדם הצועקים על השם ההושיעם יבעטו בישועה שעשה להם ויאמרו כי טוב להם שלא אצילם. He says, I don't get it exactly. If you have people who are clearly under the aegis of God, after all, there were ten makot, and some of the makot, there were miracles within miracles. That means the makah only affected the Egyptians, but didn't affect, didn't affect the Jews. He says, can you imagine that people who are being saved would say, Kitov lahem shalohi tatsilam, that they would be happier not being saved. They said, You brought us here to bury us here. What about there aren't enough graves in Mitzrayim? I mean, the Ramban doesn't understand it. It seems crazy to him. This is the Ramban's theory. This is the Ramban's theory. In other words, he had to create a new story in order to understand these psukim in the Torah. I I, I mean, you know, those of you... uh, you know, who, who know, who studied literature, know that this is something that is not uncommon amongst commentaries. When you see something that you absolutely can't figure out, so you make up a background story which makes that passage understandable. So here the Ramban says, I can't believe that the Jewish people would stand up to Moshe Rabbeinu and say, we don't want to leave Mitzrayim. We don't want to get buried in the desert. We would rather be buried after hard work in, in Mitzrayim. After all, they were all aware of Yeshuaq Hashem, that God was saving them. How could they say a thing like that? Ramban. So his answer is, are you Kitot? You have to understand, amongst the Jews, there were uh, parties. I mean, groups, akatize, or the, today they like to use that word as a, akatize, a sect. What? A cult. I didn't want to say that word. Yeah, but he means factions, like political factions. That's what he means. He doesn't mean cults. But he says there were people like that. Vakatuv yisaper kol masha asu kulab. And the pasuk, the psukim, will refer to B'nai Yisrael, but they're only talking about a, a particular group, a subgroup in B'nai Yisrael. One group is screaming to God to help them, and the other group is taking a stand against the prophet, that's Moshe Rabbeinu. Veina modeb Yeshua anaseit lahem veyomru dechitov lahem shaloit silam. And that group that is screaming at Moshe Rabbeinu, they say, "Oh, we'd be better off if God didn't save us, if God didn't take us out of Mitzrayim." Al zot katuv veyamru al yam suf al yam biyam suf. So in any event, he goes through a whole series of proofs to prove this idea that B'nai Yisrael is not just one group. When you say, uh, so when you say here, by Yitzhaku, by Yeruba, by Yitzhaku, B'nai Yisrael el Hashem, it doesn't mean every single person in Am Yisrael was davening to God to take them back to the tribe. But it means that this is the reality that Moshe Rabbeinu had to deal with. And therefore, when Moshe Rabbeinu finally made a decision, he said, let's go forward to Yamsuf, there were enough people in B'nai Yisrael who were willing to follow Moshe Rabbeinu that the few people who were opposed to this were not able to carry the day. So if you turn the page, if you turn the page... Uh, here. If you turn the page here of the Rabban on Pasuk Tetvot, you see in the middle of the, the paragraph there, Matitzak Eli, Omar Rabbi Avrod, that's the Ibn Ezra, Ki Moshe Kimeged Kol Yisrael Shayutzo Akimlo. The Ibn Ezra says, 
Matitzake Lai, it's addressed to Moshe Rabbeinu, but really it's about all the Jews who are screaming and davening to God that they should go back to Mitzrayim. That's the Ibn Ezra. The, the Ramban himself said, who was screaming? A small group of people. A, a, a party, a subdivision. So why did God say to Moshe Rabbeinu, Matitz Akelai, singular, when we're talking about Am Yisrael? And as far as Am Yisrael is concerned, according to the Ramban, right, he said, Ra'ulahem uh, they have every right to David. They were afraid, so why shouldn't they David? It's as though God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, look, I know that you think that they're doing a good thing by davening, but you shouldn't let them. Get them going. I've already told you that Paro is going to be in trouble here. Rabotenu Amrusha Yemoshetso Eko Mitpalel Buhuanachon against the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra says Matitzakelai refers to all of Am Yisrael. Chachamim said Matitzakelai refers to Moshe Rabbeinu. Kiloya Damayase. Vaafo Pisha Malo Hashemi Kadabe Paro. Even though God told Moshe Rabbeinu that Paro was going to have a lot of difficulty, he didn't know how things were supposed to work out. He's standing on the edge of the sea and Paro is coming after them. And so Moshe Rabbeinu was davening to ask God what he should do. He knew that he had to do something, but he didn't know what he had to do. It should have been that Moshe Rabbeinu asked God what to do. That's not a prayer. That's a directive. There was a direction. How, how would you go? So the Jewish people, according to the Ramban, the Jewish people were screaming because they were really unhappy. And Moshe Rabbeinu joined in the screaming. So God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, to Moshe Rabbeinu, according to the Ramban, Why are you screaming? You know that it's going to work out. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. Okay, but you don't have to scream. You could say, you could just ask me, politely, what should you do? Where should you go? Etc. So we see that all of this business, all of this business is troublesome. Right? It's hard to know. If you learned in the Mepharshim, Rashi and the Ramban, a little bit we saw, uh, quoted the Ibn Ezra, it's hard to know to like, reflect on what the emotional state of Am Yisrael was, why they were in such a state, and why the whole thing didn't have, didn't affect them. Uh, Yitziat Mitzrayim didn't change them into perfect people. So there are two sources that I would like to look at with you that try to explain them. One is in a book called The the Nefesh HaChayim, which was written by Rav Chaim Volozhenov. Rav Chaim was the founding Rosh Yeshiva of Volozhin. In Volozhin. Volozhin, name of a town. Right? If you ever take one of these trips to Lita, uh, which is like a wonderful thing to do, you can uh, spend a lot of time on a bus, which is something you probably would never do in America or in Israel. Right, so you go to Lithuania and you sit on a bus and you get to Volozhin and you see that it's a bakery. The yeshiva, the yeshiva building still exists and it's today it's a build, it's a bakery so it's 
that soon would get you enthusiastic about something. And also, it's not kosher. So it's a, it's like a double bag. It's writing? Maybe. I don't know. I don't remember. I just remember it was muddy. You had to walk around. They still have no streets in Volozhin. Anyway, you have Chaim Volozhiner called that because he was the first uh, Rosh Yeshiva in the Yeshiva called Volozhin, in the town of Volozhin, was, let's say, the outstanding student of the Vilna Gaon. And the Vilna Gaon encouraged him to start this Yeshiva. And this Yeshiva was different than most yeshivot because it included room and board. Paid for by? What? Paid for by? Uh, they raised the money. Paid, paid by the Jewish people. The reason I'm pointing this out is because for the first time it became possible to educate the students 24 hours a day. Whereas, if you lived at home, or if you learned in the town where you were brought up, so, of course, you would be also educated by your parents, and by whoever else was in the town. But Volozhin was the first yeshiva that had a dormitory and a, um, and uh, served food. What? Chachmei Lublin was the Hasidic version of Volozhin, but Chachmei Lublin started much later. Chachmei Lublin was a, a yeshiva of Hasidic kids, and Volozhin was the yeshiva of non-Hasidic kids. Now it could be that there were a few Hasidic kids who went to Volozhin, but it was not a common thing. At the time, at the time, um, as you know, there was this conflict between people who called themselves Hasidim and people who called themselves Misnagdim. And as you also know, the greatest Misnagid of them all, I mean, maybe I'm exaggerating, was the Vilna Gaon. What? Not me, no. <laughs> The Vilna, Gaon, the Vilna Gaon was very strongly against Hasidut for whatever reason. It remains a little bit of a mystery about why he was so um, so firmly committed to the anti-Hasidic ideology which itself led in part to the growth of Hasidut. You know, like if the Vilna Gaon doesn't like them it must be really interesting. So I think that uh, that's what happened. So his Talmud, the Vilna Gaon lived at the beginning of the 18th century, and his Talmud, Rav Chaim Volozhina, they say, you know, there's always these kind of stories, Rav Chaim Volozhina had an older brother, who was also a Talmud of the Vilna uh, Gaon, who died young, and he was considered to be the greatest student of the Vilna Gaon, but of course he died young, so he was not really in the running. Rav Chaim Volozhina went to Volozhin, which is a town not too far away from Vilna, and he started this yeshiva. He started this yeshiva, which became a world-famous yeshiva, but you have to remember, in its heyday, according to Charles Stamper, in its heyday, had 400 students. The Mir Yeshiva in Yerushalayim has 6,000 students, and we have no way of knowing that the heyday has come. You know, it just keeps rolling along. But 400 students doesn't seem like such a big deal, and that was in its prime, in its best years. But Chaim Volozhiner, who found himself in the midst of this discussion between Hasidim and Mitnagdim, wrote a book, a classic work, it's classic because no one learns it. It's, a, it's one of those remarkable books called Nefesh Chayim, which means literally, the Rav Chaim is bearing his soul 
about matters of grave importance. And that book, Nefesh HaChayim, discusses, although in an elliptical manner, the difference between Hasidim, the ideology of the Hasidim, and the ideology of those who are not Hasidim, who are involved with the Torah. And it's a big book, and contains a lot of information. The reason that nobody learns it is the following. Hasidim don't learn it, because it's anti-Hasidut. The Misnagdim don't learn it. Misnagdim are people who don't dress like Hasidim. Everybody who doesn't dress like a Hasid is a Misnagdim. So Misnagdim don't learn the Nevesh Chaim because Rav Chaim quotes the Zohar on every single page. Uh, which, first of all, makes a difficulty. I mean, the Zohar is generally written in Aramaic, but the new editions of Nevesh Chaim translate the Zohar into Hebrew, the Zohar parts into Hebrew. But still, but still, it's a, a little odd. Where the Zohar is a book that the Hasidim like more than the Misnagdim. And here you have the, the, the Nevesh Chaim seems to be an advertisement for the Zohar, so it's a problem. Nevertheless, in spite of all of this, I want to tell you what the Nevesh Chaim says about us, about our problem. Nevesh Chaim says this. You see the second, the second uh, paragraph on the second page. Oh. Listen. Right? God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, This is Nevishachim Shar Aleph, the first section, large subdivision, the ninth chapter. But Selomar, Bedid Hu, Talia Milta. Bedid Hu, him, who's him? Moshe Rabbeinu, Talia Milta. Everything depends on Moshe Rabbeinu. How so? She'im heima yiyu betokef ha'emunah. He means, heima, he means all of B'nai Yisrael. That it all depends on Moshe Rabbeinu and B'nai Yisrael. Right, and that's what it says in the Pasuk. Remember the Pasuk? What happened after Kriyat Yamsuf? Vayaminu Vashem over Moshe Avdo. That, that's what the Nevesh Chaim is talking about. She'im heima yiyu if B'nai Yisrael are filled with faith and trust, he says, if they have faith and they have bitachon, uh, then they'll be able to go elayam without fear. So what is it that the Nevesh Chaim is explaining to us? That even though B'nai Yisrael knew in their heads that what was supposed to happen was Kriyat Yamsuf, that the Yamsuf would split and they'd walk in dry land. In fact, when they saw the, the, this Yam, they saw the sea, they were not perfect, in perfect faith that this would happen. And so they started davening. They were davening because they were concerned. And so the Nevesh Chaim says, As limala. He says, the way it really works in this world is God promises that the sea will split. But that doesn't mean that the sea will split. What's the condition for the sea splitting? You, B'nai Yisrael, you have to want the sea to split. You have to believe the sea will split. Only then will the sea split. Because according to Chaim, a divine promise is not about God proving something. God can split the sea. A big deal. God can do anything. So splitting the sea is of no consequence. The promise of splitting the sea was given to B'nai Yisrael only because they had to make it into an article of faith they had to believe that the sea would split. And if they believed that the sea would split, then it would split. That was the deal. That's what faith is about. Faith is not about letting God do it. Faith is about making sure that you desire God to do it enough that God will do it. And that's what he says. 
He quotes a pasuk in Shir Hashirim Lesusati Berichbi Parodi Misich Rayati. There's a pasuk about how there's a somehow comparison of Bnei Yisrael to a sus, Rotzelama to a horse. Kemod Besusi Richbi Richbei Paro Sheyehefech Min Hagoshel Olam. The minhag shalolam, the way it usually is, that the rochei magniglatsus, that the rider on the on the uh, um, horse directs the horse. Ubeparovichelo hasusin he gedrochvok moshir amurazal kach dimiticha bimshilticha rayati alzeha open mamash shaat shadni rochei varavot. God says, even though I God. And Rochev Aravot. Aravot are clouds in the heavens. My God is, is above all the heavens. And Kolzekim Yochol et manhi at manhig oti ayidei ma'atecha. Nevertheless, who's in charge of the way the world goes? Men. B'nei Yisrael. They're in charge because the world, heavenly world, is, is susceptible to faith. That's what it's susceptible to. Sheinyan it chabrut kibiachol haolamot urakafi inyan it orut maasecha laan notim. That means that we have control. Ultimately, we have some kind of control, and therefore, when God says that something will happen, it will happen if we want it to happen, and therefore, therefore. The Pesach says the Tza'akha of Bnei Yisrael indicates that they, Bnei Yisrael, were not confident that they didn't have faith, that they were not expressing some sort of level of faith when they stood and davened before God. So you see that davening has different aspects to it. And sometimes davening can paralyze you. It's it's counterindicated. Not faith. Not bitachon. Not emunam bitachon. That's not counterindicated. But other other. Either you believe God will do what God has promised, or you say, "Gee, I don't really know if God will do what God has promised," and therefore I plead with God that something good should happen. So this was the issue according to the Nefesh HaChayim. Ma titzak elai. You're davening the wrong kind of davening. You're davening, you B'nai Yisrael, are davening the kind of davening where you have doubt about what might happen. Where you're not certain that God will support you. Whereas the kind of davening that you should be davening is the davening that's based on faith and trust. Faith in God and trust in the promise. In fact, as an aside, I would say that this idea that we, Am Yisrael, have to have faith in the promise is the most critical part of the faith learning process of Yitziat Mitzrayim. Because Yitziat Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim, people had to come to the conclusion, were asked to come to the conclusion that no matter how bad it looked from day to day, that the end was clear. That they knew what would happen. That the promise to Avram Avinu would be, in fact, uh, done and taken care of. That's what the Nefesh Chaim says. Who? Did God promise them in advance that he was... Avram Avinu. The Red Sea? No, not the Red Sea, but you see at Oh, because Daba Paro. It says, because Daba Paro, that, uh, that Paro will not be successful. It says, Beferush. Maybe it didn't say Yamsuf, but it says that, that Paro would not be successful. The last source, to try to explain this, the Shei Mishmuel. The Shei Mishmuel is Bornstein. His name is Bornstein. Shmuel Bornstein, who was, who was the Sochet Shover, the Sochet Shover Rebbe. His father, was the first Reb in Sochachov, and his father was a Talmud of the Kotzka, outstanding Talmud of the Kotzka Rebbe, and he married the Kotzka's daughter. 
Shmuel, Shmuel, his son, was the Rebbe after him, and uh, the father, the father was extremely brilliant in all areas of Torah uh, learning. But the son had one advantage on the father, apparently, and that was that he wrote very well and clearly. And so that eventually the son wrote all of the things that his father had, uh, had written originally or had spoken originally. And uh, the, the things about the Torah, the parasha of the Shavuah, are called Shem Mishmuel. Shem Mishmuel. Much of it comes from the Sochachava, the father. And in the Shem Mishmuel, he quotes his father a lot. He says, as I heard this from my father, as my father said, etc. But apparently, even the things that he writes in his own name, himself, are strongly influenced by, by the father. So that's, uh, that's Sochachov. His name was Bornstein. He lived a hundred years later. hundred years later than the Nefeshachayim. Okay? So this is the what he says. The Shem Shmuel. Fineo Tmimut. He puts in that word Tmimut. Tmimut means Tomim Hashem means don't try to manipulate God. Don't try to manipulate God. That's called Avodazara. Avodazara means you say, Okay God, I need like something good to happen to me here, have his lunch, or something like that. That's called manipulation. Tmimut means that you don't try to manipulate God. Whatever God presents you with, that's what's supposed to happen. The third line. The third line, the sixth word, okay. He says, if the Jews were as they should be, if they had this tmimut, if they had this faith in God, and they saw the Egyptians coming, running after them, and the and Paro was in the lead, and there was in heaven, they saw the, the, the Sar shall Mitzrayim. They would have looked at it and laughed. He said, look at this. They, they think they could beat us when God is on our side. God promised. you get it? In other words, when they came to the end, the whole process is almost finished. So who should B'nai Yisrael have been? Who should they have been? They should have been the people who believed in God so strongly that even the frightening reality would have no effect on them. They believe so strongly that God would take them out of Mitzrayim. Okay, so what difference does it make? There are Egyptians, they're screaming, they're yelling. It doesn't matter because we have this opportunity to leave with God. I'm now three, four, five, six, seven lines from the bottom. Midatadin. 
Vidat Adin means perfect. There are no leniencies, no leeways. Everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. So if there was Vidat Adin, if the Jews were on that level, where they understood that everything was from God and everything God promised would in fact happen, that's the way it should have been. But somehow they gave in. They weren't like that. They weren't like that. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu B'nai Israel were not were not clear about this. It's true. It says that Paro will it'll be difficult to Paro, but we weren't sure any longer whether we deserved that, whether we deserved that kind of. Positioning by God. And skipping a line, it And so the Shemishpul says that what Moshe Rabbeinu did was he started screaming. And all the Jews started screaming because screaming is the kind of prayer that evokes midat harachamim. And they knew that they would not be able to achieve Yitziat Mitzrayim bedin, meaning because they thought the right things and believed the right things and understood the right things, they wouldn't be able to do that. And so they appealed for rachamim. How did they appeal for rachamim? With tzaka. Tzaka means, I know that we're not peseder. I know that we're not as we should be, but I have no choice. I don't, don't have that internal strength to be able to live. And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Okay, according to Shem Shmuel, the Midat HaRachamim is going to take the Jews out of, out of Mitzrayim. And that is the beginning of the story. You put all this together, it's the beginning of the story. What do we see in, in the Midbar? We see Kitot. We see sects. There's Korach, Vadato, against all of Am Yisrael. We see people who could not uh, make it the Midat Adin, because after all, if you make the golden calf, what should happen is that everybody should be killed, disappear. What do you need Am Yisrael for? But that somehow... God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, the Yud Gimel Midos of Rachum, Hashem, Hashem, Kel Rachum Vechanun, that the continuation of Jewish history is not going to be dependent on Din, which means the letter of the law, which is the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted Yitziat Mitzrayim to be, because that would have created a new element, a new element, not for Am Yisrael, but a new element in the world, something that the world had never seen. And so, is a response, according to Shem Shmuel, is a response to the prayer of Moshe Rabbeinu, which was, take us out of Egypt, berachamim. We're not able, we're not able to go along with this idea that it all depends, that it all depends on din. So, on, uh, we're not able to go along with the idea that it depends on Din, but we have to. We have to beg God for Yitzhak Mitzrayim of Rachmim. That's the that's the point of the of the Shemish uh, So according to the Nefesh Chaim, according to the Nefesh Chaim, people had to understand that their responsibility was far-reaching in Yitzhak Mitzrayim. They weren't just there to you know God would open the gates and they would walk out and go to Har Sinai. But they had to believe that God would do that. They had to trust that God would do that. And that belief and that trust would ensure that B'nai Yisrael would leave Mitzrayim. According to the Shem Yishmuel, according to Shem Yishmuel, there's a, a different issue. And according to the Shem Yishmuel, they somehow had already given up the exalted idea of Yitzhak Mitzrayim Torah's din, judgment, which means that everything is done perfectly. God does what God does and B'nai Yisrael do what B'nai Yisrael do. But B'nai Yisrael lost the ability, lost the ability to see themselves as appropriate 
for divine justice and therefore they begged for Yitziat Mitzrayim of Rachamim. And this happened again and again in the history of the Jewish people until they came to Eretz Yisrael. It happened with the uh, with the uh, golden calf, right? The Egel Azahav. It happened again several times in the in the Midbar. Have a good Shabbos.